Okay, well, it's good to be uh, together once again uh, this Sunday morning and to have the opportunity to uh, open God's Word and receive uh, what the Lord would have to teach us this morning. And so if you have your Bible with you, please open up to the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, as we continue uh, our journey through the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter 17. Now the fact that the ways of this world and the ways of man are so completely opposite to the ways of God uh, should be no surprise to any of us. Consider the following verses from Scripture. They'll be on the screen behind me. Isaiah 55, verse 8. The Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, the Apostle Paul said, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. There are basic principles of this world that are not according to Christ, the ways of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first five verses. Again, the Apostle Paul says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, not lovers of God, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And Paul says, from such people turn away. One more verse from Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. Paul says to Timothy, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That is the truth, the things of God. But according to their own desires, as opposed to the desires of God, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. People who will tell them what they want to hear, not what God has said. And so clearly the way of this world, the ways of man are so completely different, so opposite to the ways of God. And in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, there is a very strong warning for all those who choose the way of the world over the way of God. Isaiah 5.20 Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And that warning of the prophet Isaiah some 2,700 years ago is every bit as relevant today as it was back then. The world abounds with people who are calling what is evil in God's sight good and calling good what is evil in God's sight. That is a very serious warning, a warning of the judgment of God to come upon those who choose the way of the world instead of the way of God. And so why is this the case? Why is the way of man, the way of the world, so opposite to the way of God? Well, it is because man in his sin has rejected God. And instead of worshipping holy God, the creator, and living in accordance with God's will and living for God's glory, sinful man desires essentially to worship himself. To reject the worship of the creator for the worship of the creature, man has decided to live not according to God's will but according to his own will, not to live for the glory of God but to live for man's own glory. And this is what the Apostle Paul explained in Romans chapter 1. Again, a little bit of a lengthy section that I want to read to you. The verses will be on the screen behind me. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And Paul goes on, there's more. But, you see why things are the way they are. In the world today, we see why the ways of man, the ways of this world are so completely opposite to the ways of God. And with that being the case, it is no surprise to us that when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, the gospel which is the power of God unto salvation to all who would believe, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached and it is received and it is believed and people are saved and lives are changed and they exchange the worship of self for the worship of God and they start living according to the will of God and for the glory of God instead of for their own will and self-glory, 
It is no surprise that when that happens, the people of the world at large will think something has gone mad, that these people have gone crazy. What are they doing? We don't understand. And as we saw last week, that was precisely the attitude of many people in the city of Thessalonica, there in the northeastern part of Greece. Uh, Paul and Silas uh, and Timothy, uh, they're on Paul's second missionary journey. They're preaching the gospel uh, further and further afield in the Roman Empire. They passed through the area of Asia Minor. Uh, they've come into Europe. They preached at Philippi, and then they went on to Thessalonica. And as Paul preached the gospel in Thessalonica, he was accused by people who did not like him and did not like what he was doing. He was accused in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6 of turning the world upside down. Turning the world upside down. It's a metaphor, obviously. I think we all understand it. It carries the idea to upset or to unsettle or to change the current state by doing something different. And, of course, that's exactly what was happening as Paul and Silas and Timothy were going along preaching the gospel. People were getting saved. Lives were being changed. Uh, And from the perspective of these people in in Thessalonica... Uh, The world was being turned upside down. Everything was changing and they didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. But their analysis of the situation wasn't quite right. Because firstly, it wasn't Paul, Silas and Timothy who were turning things upside down. It was God who was turning things upside down through the preaching of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then again, God wasn't in fact turning things upside down. He was actually turning the things right way up. Because God was taking sinful man, who was already the wrong way up in his sin before God, thinking wrongly about God, thinking wrongly about the world, and through faith in Jesus Christ was changing people's hearts, Bring him to the point where they now think rightly about the things of the world, where they think rightly about God. Bringing them to salvation. And so in Thessalonica, there were many people who believed and were saved, but many more people did not believe uh, and rejected the message of the gospel, so much so that the Jews who were there in the synagogue went out into the town and found all the evil men that they could to gather together a mob to come and essentially kill the Apostle Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They didn't just not like what Paul was preaching. They had to eradicate Paul from the face of the earth. But they couldn't find them. They were hidden away as we finished last week. Uh, And we pick up this morning in verse 10 of chapter 17, with Paul, Silas, and Timothy having been uh, hidden away uh, from this angry, evil mob that was out to get them. Uh, And in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 10, we'll read our passage down to verse 15. 
Acts 17 verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. And so those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Father, we thank you for your word uh, this morning. We thank you, uh, Lord, for what is a a quite wonderful passage, uh, full of uh, instruction and encouragement for all of us. Uh, And so, Father, we ask that by your spirit that you would open our hearts, that you would grant us understanding, that we might receive uh, what you would have to say to us today. And so, Father, we do ask your blessing upon this time now. Uh, We ask that you would bless your word to each and every one of our hearts as we give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've entitled this two-part series, Turning the World Upside Down. Maybe I should have called it Turning the World the Right Way Up. Uh, But Turning the World Upside Down is the phrase that is there in verse 6, so we've gone with that. Uh, And in the first 15 verses of Acts chapter 17, and we looked at the first nine last week, uh, Luke emphasizes how the world was turned upside down, or the right way up. The world was turned upside down, firstly, through the preaching of the word. That was the lesson in Thessalonica in the first nine verses. Uh, uh, Luke, writing the book of Acts, emphasizes the responsibility of the preacher. The responsibility of the preacher to preach Christ and him crucified. The responsibility of the preacher to preach who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And in verses 2 and 3, Paul went into the synagogue in Thessalonica uh, and he uh, reasoned and explained and demonstrated from the scriptures that the Messiah would suffer, die and rise from the dead. And he said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he suffered, died and rose from the dead. Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Uh, And so the first essential component, if you like, of turning the world upside down is the preaching of the word, the preaching of the gospel, namely Christ and him crucified. Uh, But there's a second emphasis, a counterpart to that, if you will, that Luke emphasizes now in the ministry of Paul in the Greek city of Berea. Because if the preaching of the word is important so too is the hearing of the word. It's one thing to preach the word, but if nobody is hearing, then not much is going to happen. And so the first uh, reason uh, why the world was turned upside down, Paul was preaching the gospel, Christ and him crucified. Uh, But secondly, because the word was heard and received by some 
who are listening. The emphasis in our passage today is on the responsibility of the hearer of the word of God. And so that's the focus of our passage uh, here, the lesson uh, that we uh, learn from the ministry in Berea. But when the word of God is properly preached and the word of God is properly heard and received, that's when great things begin to happen. That's when the world gets started turning upside down. The preaching and the hearing. Uh, And so let's get into our text, beginning in verse 10, uh, dealing with the hearing uh, of the word. Uh, Paul's ministry there in the Greek city of Berea. Take a look at verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Of course, remember, because there was a mob out to kill him in Thessalonica, so it made sense uh, to wait till darkness and smuggle him out of the city. Uh, And uh, they immediately sent him away by night then to Berea. Now, Berea, uh, as you can see on the map that's about to come up uh, behind me, um, is uh, right at the end of the Arrows. Uh, Paul started his second missionary journey. It is uh, what became his home church in Antioch there in Syria, Uh, He ministered across Asia Minor, revisiting the churches that he planted on his first missionary journey. Uh, Then the Holy Spirit, you'll remember, uh, wouldn't allow uh, him to go south uh, and wouldn't allow him to go north. And so he ended up in Troas, uh, took the boat over to Neapolis and then ministered the gospel in the city of Philippi, where the Philippian jailer was saved, where Lydia uh, was saved. Then on to Thessalonica uh, and now on to Berea. After this, he'll go south all the way down to Athens and then Corinth. We'll take the boat over to Ephesus, which is just about there. uh, And then he'll head back to Antioch. And then we'll begin his third missionary journey because he's not done. So, Berea is where he is in our passage today. Now, the word Berea, uh, I'm told, means well-watered. I've not been there, but I'd imagine it's probably a well-watered place. It's about 50 miles or so southwest of Thessalonica. Uh, It's off the main road, and so it was probably a couple of days' walk uh, to get there. Uh, But get there, uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy uh, did. And we know Timothy with with them because he's mentioned down in verse uh, 14. Uh, Notice what Paul did as soon as he got to Berea. The end of verse 10, notice they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, pause there for a moment. Paul, a few weeks earlier, had gone into Thessalonica. And what did he do there? Well, he went into the synagogue of the Jews. Paul always first went into the synagogue of the Jews. We've talked about this lots before. Why? Uh, Well, for a number of reasons. Uh, Probably most notably because uh, it was God's will and purpose that the gospel go to the Jews first. It also made practical sense because as a rabbi, he would get the opportunity to address uh, the congregation gathered. And Paul had a great heart for his Jewish brethren, you know. But but in any event, Paul always went to the synagogue. But what happened at the synagogue in Thessalonica? Some people got saved, but others got so angry, they went out, gathered up all the evil men in the city, uh, brought together a mob to essentially kill Paul. Now, you'd think, Paul might think, well, you know what? I didn't go too well going to the synagogue in Thessalonica. Maybe we should try something different in Berea. But no, he didn't. What did he do? He went straight into the synagogue of the Jews. 
Now, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Now, I'm sure there are some people who follow the ministry of Paul and think he is a little bit crazy. He's a glutton for punishment. He suffered uh, a lot, and he went straight into the lion's den uh, more often than not. But here's the thing. Paul did do the same thing over and over and over again, but not because he was expecting different results. In fact, the results of his ministry were not his primary concern at all. Why did Paul go straight to the synagogue? Why did Paul continue to preach the gospel city after city? Why? Because he was being faithful to do what God had called him to do. That was Paul's priority. Even in the midst of great opposition, even in the midst of great trial, even hostility, Paul wasn't discouraged, he wasn't put up, he wasn't convinced to give up and go home. Paul carried on doing what he knew God had called him to do. And you see, that right there is the life of faith that God calls us to live. 2 Corinthians 5.7 tells us that we walk by faith, not by sight. If Paul was walking by sight, he would have gone home a long time ago. But he was walking by faith. And true Bible faith is believing and obeying the commands of the Lord, whatever the circumstances and whatever the consequences of that obedience may be. The outcome is secondary. What matters most is that I trust in and obey the Lord in his will and purpose for my life. What matters is that I be faithful to the Lord. And that is what God has called us to as believers first. He has called us to faithfulness. A life of faithful obedience to him. He's not called us to achieve great things for his name. He's not called us to do great things. God may use us to do those things, but it will be God who is using us and it will be God who will be doing it. What he's called us to do is to faithfully be obedient to all that he has called us to do. And yes, sometimes that will mean going into situations that make us uncomfortable. And I don't like being uncomfortable any more than you do. My comfort zone is very comfortable. I like it there. I don't like coming out of my comfort zone very much. But if we all stayed in our comfort zones, I'll tell you this, we would all do nothing for the Lord. You cannot be obedient to the Lord and stay in your comfort zone. It's impossible. And God has called us to faithfulness. He's called us to obedience. And so that is what we see consistently in the life of Paul, and that's an important lesson for all of us. Uh, Then in verse 11, Speaking of the people in Berea, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Now, Acts 17, verse 11, it is possibly one of the most well-known verses in the book of Acts. Uh, at least if you've read the book of Acts uh, before and if you've been a Christian for any length of time, uh, you will be familiar uh, with verse 11. And it's an important verse. It's, it's a wonderful verse. Uh, 
and it provides an important uh, example for each and every one of us here uh, today. Now, of course, Paul uh, went into the synagogue, and what did he do? Well, he preached Christ and him crucified. That's what Paul always did. No doubt he did exactly the same as he did in Thessalonica. He opened the scriptures. Uh, he reasoned with them. He explained it to them. He demonstrated uh, that, the, that the Messiah in the Old Testament had to suffer, had to die, but then he would rise again, uh, and that Jesus, he suffered, died, and rose again. And so you need to believe in Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior Uh, You need to believe in him for forgiveness of sins and to be welcomed into the family of God, into the kingdom of God. Uh, And we're told then that the Bereans responded quite differently to those in Thessalonica. Uh, And the emphasis that Paul places here in verse 11 is not on Paul, the preacher, but on the Bereans, the hearers. Paul preached the same message, but they responded differently to many in Thessalonica. And so there are three things here in verse 11 that I think are important for us to note about these Bereans. Uh, Notice firstly, it says that these Bereans were more fair-minded, or your translation may say noble or something uh, similar. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. Now, that word translated fair-minded in my New King James Version, um, translated uh, noble-minded, I think, in some other translations, it means literally to be open-minded, to be without prejudice, to be willing to listen and to consider. It doesn't mean that they were naive, Uh, to believe anything and everything that anybody said. Uh, But it does mean that the Bereans, they were willing to listen and to carefully consider what Paul was saying without ulterior motives, without prejudice. They were open-minded. And because they were open-minded, they were ready, verse 11, uh, to receive the word in all readiness. Literally, that could be translated, they received the word with great eagerness. Great eagerness. They were fully and completely ready to hear everything that Paul had to say. Uh, And I think we can conclude from that very simply that these Bereans, they were concerned genuinely to know the truth. They were concerned to know the truth. And they had a teachable spirit. They were willing to listen uh, and to receive even if what was said didn't agree with their presuppositions. They genuinely wanted to know the truth. Now, I've discovered in my own life and also watching a lot of um, people on TV and reading the newspapers, I have discovered that not everybody wants to know the truth. Not everybody wants to know the truth. There are some people who claim to want to know the truth. But in reality, they already know what they want to believe and they have closed minds and closed hearts to anything else. 
And that is especially true when it comes to the scriptures and especially when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the natural man apart from Christ has a natural bias and prejudice against the truth of scripture and the gospel of Christ. Therefore, in pursuit of truth, so-called, man often ignores and even mocks biblical truth. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying in our passage in Romans chapter 1 that we read earlier. I'll just pull one verse out of that passage, Romans 1.25. Paul said, These are those who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. See, many people, they don't want the truth. If the truth doesn't meet their own expectations, if the truth does not accord with the way they want things to be done, Paul says they exchange the truth for that which is not the truth, and that which is not the truth is a lie. Why do people do that? I mean, have you ever wondered, have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and they're just not interested? And you think, how can you not be interested? Well, the reason is because if the Bible is true, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, then man must surrender his life to Christ. A man must surrender all that he is and all that he has and all that he does to Christ. And the bottom line is, is man does not want to do it. And so he becomes unwilling to accept the truth. Even when the truth is screaming at him in the face. Even when the world is in chaos around him. Even when the answer to all his problems is found in Christ. And yet, people still reject the truth. Because to accept it means to surrender their lives to Christ and they don't want to do it. But as Paul said to the Corinthians, and as such were some of you. (laughs) We were all in that position once, one way or the other. But God saved us, changed us, sanctified us, brought us into his family, brought us into his kingdom. (coughs) Through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit and the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. And those who are genuinely seeking the truth, They'll find it. Jeremiah 29, 13. The Lord says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Those who are genuinely seeking the truth will find the truth. And the truth ultimately is found in and only in Jesus Christ. And so the Bereans, they had a simple, teachable attitude. They had a genuine heart to know the truth. And I think there's an application here for us as believers. And that is this. When we come to church, 
like right here, right now, this morning. And we come to hear the word of God. And we have our Bibles open up before us. It is not enough to come and just open your Bibles. You need to come with open hearts. And an open mind. Ready and willing to receive the word of God. Now, that's not always easy. And if you think it's always easy, you've missed it. And the reason it's not always easy is because God's will and purpose for us is to make us more like Jesus. And Jesus is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. And I might think I'm pretty good too. But the reality is I'm not any of those things. And if God wants us to be perfect and holy like Jesus, but practically speaking, I am not perfect and holy in my daily life. If I am going to be like Jesus, one of us has got to change. And it's not Jesus. It's us. And that process of change, of becoming more like Jesus, is what we often refer to as spiritual growth. And that takes place as we hear the word, as we read the word, as the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of the word, and with the help of the Holy Spirit as we put that into practice in our lives. And that necessarily will involve acknowledging and confessing and repenting of sin. No person can grow in the likeness of Christ apart from confession of sin. Because if I don't acknowledge and confess an area of sin in my life, I am not going to become more like Jesus in that area of my life. And because that is the case, the reality is is that we all have things that we do not want to hear. We all have things in our lives that we want to hold on to. Whether they're big, whether they're small, whether they're many, whether they're few. If you think they're few, they're probably more than you realize. And so there is the tendency to close our hearts and close our minds and to ignore the things that are going to challenge us. When we hear something said and we think, oh yeah, I did that last week. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good. And then when we hear something that maybe we're not so good at, we just tune out. I mean, that's natural. We don't want to be confronted with our sin, but that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Every time we open the Word of God, every time we study the Word of God together. And when sin is revealed in our hearts, that is a good thing. That is a blessing from God. That is the grace of God at work. Because sin needs to be revealed before it can be confessed. And when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Spiritual growth. And it's little by little and it's step by step and it's day by day and it's area of our life by area of our life. From the day we get saved to the day we go to glory, God is working in and through us. By his word, through his spirit. And that is God's will for us. 
And while it can be a hard thing, freedom from sin is the greatest blessing known to man. It can be a hard process, but it is a wonderfully liberating process. And a process through which God is glorified. And we are blessed in that as well. And so the first thing that they did was they were fair-minded. And they received the word with all readiness. Notice the second thing then. Because they were fair-minded and they received the word uh, with all readiness, verse 11, they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was telling them about the Messiah in the Old Testament, about Jesus being the Messiah, the Savior, was true. They were concerned for the truth. And when Paul came and opened the scriptures and told them all these things, they wanted to know the truth. Now that word searched means to examine or to investigate. It was a word that was used of like a detailed forensic examination in like a criminal case. You got the forensic, you know, people who come in their white coats and what are they doing? They're kind of really, you know, getting into the, looking for the tiniest little things. That's the word that's used here. That's what they did. They investigated. They closely examined through a process of careful study to see if what Paul was telling them concerning Jesus was true. And ever since then, this term, the term a Berean, has been used, kind of generally speaking in the evangelical world, uh, to describe a person who studies the scriptures carefully and with impartiality like the Bereans did. They were open-minded. They were willing to find the truth in the scriptures. Now, important lesson. Do not believe everything anybody tells you. including me. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, the Apostle Paul said to the Thessalonians, test all things. Test all things and hold fast to what is good. Now, how do we do that? How do we test all things? Is it because, well, he's a pastor, so he must be right? Well, he's a good speaker. Sounds convincing to me. It must be the truth. Well, you know, he's really funny. You know, so, so, you know, he must be right. He's got a big church. I mean, that obviously equals truth, does it not? No, 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 no. Test everything by the word of God. The word of God is the word of truth. And if someone says something that is not according to the word of God, they are wrong. Do not receive it. Reject it. 
And there is a lot of that around in the world today. There was a lot of it back in those days, the New Testament days. There is just as much around, if not more, today. And this is a really important point. We need to realize that not everybody who opens a Bible is teaching the truth. You must check it for yourself. We must be discerning uh, in the days in which we live. And the Bereans are a very important example for us. They weren't looking, they weren't evaluating Paul on the basis of his charisma or his humor or his charismatic personality or the size of his followings, which were two. They were looking for the truth. They were looking for the truth, and that must be our goal too. And where were they looking? They were looking in the Scriptures. They were looking to the Word of God. And incidentally, that tells us another important thing, and that is the truth is in the Word. The truth is not some abstract concept that can't be known or understood. The truth is able to be understood and able to be known because it's been revealed to us by God, who is the source of all truth, And he has given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to understand it. They recognize that. A couple of other things. Their searching implies diligence. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul writing to young pastor Timothy said, Timothy... Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Timothy, as a pastor, you need to teach the word of God and you need to teach it accurately. You need to teach it rightly. And if you're going to be able to teach the word of God accurately, you need to know what it says and know what it means. And if you're going to know what it says and know what it means, you need to be diligent in your study of the word. And that is work. It is work. It is hard work. But it is a good work. It is a necessary work. And it is a work to one degree or another we should all be engaged in. The other thing to say, that studying requires diligence. It also requires persistence because notice they search the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. In contrast to Thessalonica where um, Paul went in three Sabbaths. These Bereans, they weren't going to wait till next Sabbath. They wanted to know right now. And they wanted to know tomorrow. And they wanted to know the next day. Such was their desire to know the truth. And so while our approach to the word of God requires diligence, it also requires persistence. And this is a wonderful example. A daily persistence. A daily reading of the word asking the Lord to open our hearts to grant us understanding and then the ability to put what we read into practice in our lives and so 
These Bereans, they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And the result in verse 12, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. And so notice what happened. Paul preached Christ and him crucified. These Jews, they had their Old Testament scriptures. They examined them carefully to see if what Paul was telling them was true, to see if Jesus was indeed the Messiah, to see if they really did need to believe in Jesus in order to be saved. And they examined the scriptures, and having examined the scriptures, they discovered that what Paul was saying was true. And that tells us something very important. Paul had nothing to fear about the Bereans searching the scriptures for themselves. Because if they did that honestly, fair-mindedly, with an open mind and an open heart, they would discover what Paul was saying was true, because what Paul was saying was true. And there are some groups out there today that claim the name of Christ, that discourage people from reading the word for themselves. You know what? You can't really understand the Bible on your own, you know? So, so you shouldn't bother reading. No, just, just don't read it. The person who has the truth has nothing to fear in encouraging other people to search the scriptures for themselves. And that is what we encourage you here at Calvary Chapel. Don't just take my word for it. That's why we work our way verse by verse through the Bible. So you can see the verses for yourselves. You can look, you can consider, you can see if what I am saying accords with the word of God. And that is so, so uh, important. And so a great many of the Bereans, they believed. uh, But in verse 13, something happened. Remember those Jews from Thessalonica who gathered all those evil men in the city and brought together a mob to try and get rid of Paul? Well, they show up in Berea, wouldn't you know? They heard that Paul was preaching uh, in Berea, uh, and so they came there and also stirred up the crowds. They literally came to cause trouble for Paul. Now, of course, this was sort of water off a duck's back for Paul because this had happened numerous times before. Uh, You remember when he was over in Antioch and uh, Lystra and Derbe uh, and he ended up um, with people from all the cities he'd been to descending on the city to try and take... I mean, Paul was used to this. But they came and stirred up the crowds and then verse 14, they immediately, immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Paul and Silas remained there. And so those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. And so closing thought. Paul was ushered out of Berea pretty quickly to go to the boat to sail down the coast of Greece all the way to Athens, uh, leaving Silas and Timothy behind. Uh, maybe that was just for to expedite the the process, maybe it was um, a recognition that the, the new church in Berea needed teachers, they needed encouraging, they needed discipleship, and so uh, Paul left uh, 
Timothy and Silas there for a time uh, to do that. But notice what's really interesting. This is a closing thought. It says in verse 15, those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens. That word conducted, it literally means to appoint or to accompany or to escort. How long had Paul been in Berea? We don't know, but not very long. And so there, there were people there who believed and received the gospel and within a very short period of time were willing to leave their homes, take Paul to the boat and go with him to Athens, just like that. I mean, what, what about their plans? I mean, they had to do the shopping. Maybe had a wife, had a wife and kids, you know, take the kid, you know. But they recognized Paul as a brother in Christ was in need of help and their own circumstances did not matter. What mattered was that they gave of themselves to help their brother in Christ who was in need. And that is a really important thing. It's something that we all need as believers. We need the help, the support of our fellow believers in Christ, spiritually and practically. The Christian life was never intended to be lived in isolation. We need each other in the body of Christ. Acts 20 verse 35. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. Paul said, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you want to stick those words on your fridge at home. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Very important. And so next Sunday, we move on to Athens. Very famous section of the book of Acts, a wonderful section. In fact, it won't be next Sunday because I'm actually uh, uh, speaking somewhere else next Sunday. Uh, so it'll be the Sunday after uh, we'll get to Athens. Sorry to disappoint the two of you that are sad about that. Um, <laughs> But Thessalonica, the lesson was the importance of the preacher's job, to preach Christ and him crucified. Berea illustrates, illustrates to us the importance of the hearer's job, to be open-minded, ready and willing to receive the word of God. And when those two things to come together, the Lord works in a powerful way and lives are changed and the world is turned upside down. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word uh, this morning. We thank you for the glorious truth of the gospel. And we thank you that we who were lost in sin, dead in our trespasses and sins, in this world, without hope, have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and that according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures that we who confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead will be saved. Father, we give you praise, honor, and glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.